0: livepodcasts.fm This podcast is a Prime Media broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind.
1: Welcome to another riveting episode of Africa's State of Mind. On this special episode, we focus on Africa Day. Now, Africa Day is the annual commemoration of the Foundation of African Unity on the 25th of May, 1963. It's celebrated in various countries on the African continent, as well as around the world. On this episode, we chat to South Africa's former Deputy President, Pumzile Lambo nwuka about women's role in leadership and African parliaments.
2: Countries with gender-equal cabinets... Rwanda, Ethiopia and Seychelles Mm. South Africa should be in that league
1: Chude Jideonwo who's a Nigerian lawyer and media entrepreneur he's also responsible for putting quite a few African presidents into power
3: The only thing that stops the people from bringing down their leader is fear
1: and, of course, Acha Leke, co-founder of Global Advisory Council of African Leadership, about Africa's Achilles heel.
0: I fundamentally believe that leadership is at the root cause of, what, of, of our issues, right? Okay. Leadership has failed Africa.
1: We pick up this conversation with Dr. Pumzi Lem South Africa's former Deputy President and the United Nations Under-Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women. We touch on a variety of things from leadership on the continent and her role in the United Nations. We pick the conversation up, however, on where she talks about the low representation of women in South Africa's parliament compared to our country peers on the continent. For example, Rwanda has more women representation in its parliament, Let's have a listen.
2: I think right now in the world, for instance, we, we have ten gender equal cabinets. Mm. I mean that is just so Very low. Well, yeah. In Africa, it's the gender countries with gender equal cabinets are Rwanda, Ethiopia and Seychelles. Mm. South Africa should be in that league. Yes. We relatively close, so mm. it's a low hanging fruit. Um mm. in, in some way Namibia also has a possibility uh, 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 Together, So it is positive that uh, I think uh, Africa does demonstrate that There are possibilities
1: mm-hmm. But we just have to do it and there should be more Countries that are actually doing it uh, And so now with regards to South Africa's Relationship with the rest of Africa It's really complex On one hand South Africa is seen as a leader in many ways And obviously during apartheid a lot of African Countries have played a huge mm-hmm. role Uh, with South Africa's liberation. But then now currently there are situations where perhaps people within the continent feel a little bit betrayed when you look at what's happening with regards to xenophobia Mm, and so forth. mm, What are your thoughts around what the root is around that? Because if you meet the average person one on one, that kind of hate doesn't exist. Mm. But it seems to happen within a an, within mm. a mass of people. So, mm. what are your thoughts around the narrative and the story with Africa, with South Africa, and the rest of Africa, and how we change it?
2: Yeah, you know, as South Africans, we have to take responsibility mm. uh, for being good corporate citizens in Africa, for Africa. Mm. And I think that uh, we have to invest probably more resources Mm -hmm. uh, in making sure that we make that message to be part of our DNA, of our narrative through education, through the media, through coming together as often as we need to Mm -hmm. with the other fellow African in our different Mm -hmm. profession, disciplines, etc., sports, and other. Uh, you, you know institutions that enable people to come together but probably more it is the people to people contact mm. that uh, always uh, leaves uh, lasting friendships yes. memories um, e- e- etc so um because we are the ones who seem to have a problem and uh, not to be able to relate in the best and most humane way to other Africans all the time we probably have to be the ones that must take the first mm. and most steps mm. towards uh, getting those the, the, those relationships and because we cannot move everybody everywhere all the time, mm. we need the media to play a really significant role uh, in making that happen we also need to um, have a greater appreciation also of just the achievements uh, that are there in other African mm-hmm. countries, because uh, sometimes we also we fall on into the side. yeah we, yes. feel, we fall into the narrative of the sorry story of mm-hmm. Africa. We can be the ones that are repeating mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that sort of story. We must not sweep things under the carpet, but we must celebrate our success. I mean, the fact that out of the countries that are fastest growing in the world right now. You have African countries like Ethiopia that have gone through so many difficulties to be where they are. You have Ghana, you have Ivory Coast. That is something that is so important to talk about and to have a discussion between and amongst our people, how are they managing to do it? 30 years ago, almost, Ethiopia was a poster of poverty. You thought of of Ethiopia, you thought of children that were malnourished, Look at Ethiopia now it 's standing tall, one of the best countries in terms of development uh, in Africa. Those stories we need to tell over and over again. And of course, the progress that has been made in girls' education and, 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 and generally in keeping girls at school longer that 's a good story to tell we 're not there yet. we still have dropouts. The fight that is there on the continent against child marriage. Mm. We're not there yet. Mm. And in order for us to encourage those that are fighting, the governments, the civil society, the people that are fighting to end this extremely harmful practice, Mm. need to be talked about, to be celebrated, because that really gives the push. And we need to talk about uh, some uh, uh, also uh, practices such as uh, female genital mutilation and make sure that both men and women are standing together in condemning uh, these and we are reaching out to men now actively to say the struggle for gender equality is not just for women; mm. it is everybody's responsibility.
1: What I like about what you said is that, um, because of the way the media is structured, we all know about the Me Too movement, which is very important. Mm. Yeah. Um, but we, we're not all as familiar with all the different movements happening around the continent. Yeah. And I think that, as you've, you've rightfully articulated, it's if we knew all of these stories, if within South Africa, if people mm. knew these stories, and people to celebrate. People to celebrate. I mean, we have
2: yes. a, 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 an ambassador to end child marriage, Jahad Duhari, who's from Gambia for us. What a force of nature. Mm. That woman is engaging uh, religious leaders and helping us to make progress because now we have religious leaders also being part of the struggles to end these practices. She's engaging traditional uh, leaders. We have, as UN women, convened. Uh, traditional leaders across the continent and we, we arrived at the declaration activities that they could undertake in their own communities to, 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 to provide uh, leadership and of course we also uh, engaging a lot um, uh, young people mm. because that also that is, is for Africa that, that constituency we have to make sure that we invest in and that uh, we give them the best possible tools mm. uh, for them to be change makers
1: Now, with regards to the fourth industrial revolution, I heard that you said, I heard one of your talks where you mentioned this again, Mm. (laughs) Um, and you spoke about the fourth industrial revolution and you likened it to what happened with humanity when electricity came Mm. into being Mm. and how it changed people's lives um, quite dramatically. Sadly, though, when you look at the continent, we have a general power issue. Not general, Mm. but, you know, it's quite a a big issue, Mm. specifically if you look into Mm. rural areas. Mm. But then also some people might say that the Fourth Industrial Revolution, um, Africa might get left behind because we're not even past, you know, the previous ones. Mm. So what are your thoughts around that and leadership really getting involved in the tech sector for young people, for women, for them being involved so that they can too change their lives?
2: You know, That preoccupies me a lot Mm. Um, because uh, as much as the technology and the aggressiveness of the uh, penetration of technology in the 21st century uh, is and creates new uh, positive opportunities, it can also be and is also... A creator of inequality, mm. because those that do not have uh, the infrastructure uh, that technology needs for you to to leverage it are left behind, standing still while the others are getting mm. further uh, and further. And when we are talking now about artificial in, in, intelligence and uh, Internet of Things and the extent to which you will, de- will depend on technology and staying connected. If you're not connected, it will be as if you don't exist. Exactly. You know, sure. in the same way that when you do not have uh, energy and power and therefore the ability mm. to actually use the things that we take for granted because power and electricity provides, we all know how that should fill up. Mm. We can understand what it feels like just to be in darkness, Combine that with the connectivity and the dependency of technology that the world is going towards. Countries and pockets of communities that will not have that community will just not count. So that is why it is such an important fight. And it is not the most complex way. Uh, It's unlike when we create in the industrial revolution, when we're talking about infrastructure of having to dig holes everywhere all the time. We can do wireless, mm-hmm. we can do last mile, a, a, a connecting and delivery of services. We, we we are able in real time to change the lives of many people. Mm-hmm. We can function anywhere, anytime through the technology. They say, we actually need the policies mm-hmm. that enable that. And we need the leaders to make this their priority. Mm. In South Africa, my goodness, data must fall. Yes. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> the first, right, yes. the first sabotage of South Africa's success in the fourth industrial revolution is just the cost of data. Yes. Just that one act would be a big liberator mm-hmm. and an enabler. Because once people have the, the possibility to afford uh, the service they will figure out themselves. Mm. You know, while we're figuring out the bigger picture, I was really glad this morning to hear the youngest MP of mm. the of the ANC from Gazela Natal saying that one of his priorities is going to be in the in education in Parliament in the in the in the committee for education. He is going to be fighting for online education, online university, Mm. so that you can reach the largest number of young people in the quickest time, in the most affordable way. These possibilities exist in our lifetime. We need to leverage. Definitely. And for women who struggle with moving in some cases, these are very, really Mm. important. Women in rural areas in different parts of Africa Mm. where we don't have an adequate number of teachers, and we are not going to have uh, because it is costly, it takes time to train teachers. But you can be in, in Morogoro and be taught mm. by a teacher who is uh, in Egypt, who is in Addis Ababa, who is in South mm. Africa, mm. who is in Birmingham. We just need to, to make that happen. Mm. We need to address this issue of broadband and cost of data. Uh, it's not a luxury, it's a poverty alleviating mechanism
1: And now uh, there are a lot of conversations happening globally and I think in America one of the big ones was um, these conversations around women and them having governance or non-governance around their own bodies. Mm. Um, And so laws that have been passed, I believe it's... Why
2: are we even having to discuss this about women? No one is discussing whether men should govern their bodies. (laughs) Yes. You know, time out. Just leave women and their bodies to decide for themselves. And actually, the most vocal, the most vicious people... On this subject, it's actually men mm-hmm. deciding but what should happen to, but how to we, women. How do
1: we depoliticize the conversation when we speak about, um, you know, FGM? When we speak about, you know, young girls getting married? When we speak about the a woman's right to choose and everything? How do we depoliticize we, we, it? Because it often I, I, feels I, I like I don't like
2: even it. know if we can depoliticize yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we actually need women's voices to remain as loud and louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, even we need numbers. Uh, we need resistance uh, uh, in every way possible. Uh, we also need to win uh, the other people, because you don't want to live in a polarized society and a polarized world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to bring people closer, and to the extent that men uh, tend to be the most animated people on this subject. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is why we Which actually... Which is quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. You know, that is why we need to actually engage men directly. Uh,
1: and, yeah, and now I'm just talking about engaging men directly um, through he for she. I mm, know that you're really an advocate for getting mm, men involved mm, in the conversation mm. because at the end of the day, it's men who sit at the table and make these decisions, and it's right. men who are going to be the ones who have to pretty much open the doors. Mm. Can you expand on mm. that? Well, uh, we have uh, a campaign in UN Women called He for She, which is for
2: men who stand for gender equality, uh, encouraging them to to do that both men and boys at a grassroots level to become activists for gender equality, to to understand, and of course we also encourage a non-binary approach, so it's men in all their diversity, as as well as women in all their diversity. But also it's about targeting privileged men. Most of them are white, but in our countries also many of them are black, uh, who have the capacity to set the tone, Mm. to take the action, to open the doors, to sign the paper Mm. that changes the lives of women. The fact that uh, uh, we have uh, laws in South Africa that should make it impossible for women to be paid an equal wage and yet Mm. it happens and no one actually is in court having to face the music it's a consideration of silence of the, those people who sit in boardrooms and maybe it's also us not fighting hard enough for this is the trade unions which sometimes are more muscular yes. uh, and therefore are not seeing this as a as an issue can you imagine how interesting it would be to have a trade union movement leading a strike not just for higher wages higher and equal wages yes It's long overdue Mm. uh, for the bargaining uh, bargaining that happens uh, when we are fighting for better conditions for workers to be also about women as well as about uh, enabling men, by the way, to be uh, more present as Mm. fathers, parental leave and and, 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 and all of that. So we need to crack this indifference of the majority of men uh, to this issue. We need to encourage those that are taking the step that are, are proud enough and comfortable enough to call themselves uh, feminists, uh, we need to hear more and more men say that, mm. but also to actually live the words, not just to say it, uh, to actually live the words and to demonstrate to the younger men that uh, there is no place to hide. If at a workplace, uh, as a man, you are an, you are an abuser, there is a policy to call mm-hmm. you out and there will be consequences. Companies will not uh, tolerate impunity because if you think about workplaces, those are regulated spaces uh, with men with a lot of power. In every company, people will have a fire extinguisher so that if there's a fire, everyone will know what they need to do and they will do the right thing. If a woman is being harassed at work, Mm. it becomes her own Mm. issue uh, there isn't that collective ownership of creating a safe work environment for everyone. Just like we want a safe work environment where we will not catch fire.
1: <laughs> True.
2: <laughs> you know, yes. and therefore we create a, a work environment. If we are the leading men, that makes the men who are abusive to have a little bit of comfort that I pray, you know, mm. the boss will understand and the thing will. Be- we cannot have that. Yes. Yeah, we need the power of the leaders. Mm-hmm. I think in South Africa we have learned that power, leadership sets a tone.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Right now, we have a lot of things to still fight for, to change in this moment when we are trying to regain our way, but you've already are, are hearing the change in the voices. Mm-hmm. You hear, I was listening to Premier, the new Premier of, of Northwest, never mind that I wanted a woman. Yeah. Talking about wanting a corrupt free administration mm. and repeating that that is the anthem because the tone has been set mm. when you are a leader you have got the, the responsibility to do to be better than that mm. to be the one that sets the tone that uh, illustrates what's what is in the best interest mm. uh, of humanity so men with authority and power in situations where women are being oppressed mm. ill-treated Need to be the ones that are actually setting the tone. If they show zero tolerance to a, a harassment a, of women, you change the conversation. Mm-hmm. People know that there's no place to hide.
1: And now just before we let you go I could talk to you forever Seriously I feel like I want to have coffee with you I feel like I want to be able to call you all the time Anyway that's in my head um, So I, I saw one of the dresses During the You were speaking to one of the UN groups I can't mm. recall which one And you gave a shout out No it was actually It was last year at the Uh, At your speech for Africa Day At the Mm -hmm. Talbambeki Foundation Mm -hmm. And you gave a shout out to Kasa Semenya Mm -hmm. And last year she was already having a hard time This year Mm -hmm. what is happening to her It's even worse Mm -hmm. But she's now received global Mm -hmm. uh, attention Global Mm -hmm. support Mm -hmm. Uh, We also saw in Kenya where there were two female runners Also Mm -hmm. who I believe were told that they were not allowed To Mm -hmm. even go and compete But that decision was made from the Kenyan authorities Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts around that conversation Specifically in an African context, you know, how do we how do we you change know, that? What do you girls
2: think? Uh, like? Uh, uh, casta who are uh, uh, being discriminated in this way, need all the support mm. we can give them. Uh, we at the UN, through the UN Council for Human Rights, have given the support uh, and uh, mobilized the, the medical fraternity. Uh, and, and, and make sure that uh, our human rights activists and experts also talk about the issue, mm-hmm. articulated, adopted a resolution. But clearly, we cannot force the hand of the IAF, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but we have to continue to really mm-hmm. uh, uh, make sure that Casta knows that people are with her and use whatever we have uh, to change the situation. I mean, here is the thing. CASTA has a, a genetic condition that gives her an advantage. Phelps, the yeah. swimmer, had a, had a condition that gives an advantage as a swimmer. He was celebrated as a wonder boy, you know, who has been bestowed by nature with something that gives him an yes. advantage. Tall people in basketball have an advantage because they're tall. They're not told to shorten their legs. <laughs> yes. Uh, because otherwise they they are too tall they they get mm. to the net too quick now how do we just isolate this one uh, constituency uh, the uh, of, of of girls and and say in their case uh, they have to change their body we are actually redesigning them mm. so that they cannot be winners i mean it is just not acceptable yeah. and we just need to continue to talk about it and, and and also we need to make sure that we call out also the double standards mm-hmm. as you see a white young man in America has not suffered the same fate, a young white woman in Russia who also uh, had the same advantages as Custer, it was never even an issue. Yeah. This seems to be a really big issue uh, if you're a woman of color. I think, yes. It's happened to an Indian
1: woman, yes. it's
2: happened to an African woman.
1: I think also Serena Williams actually said uh, that she gets tested more, that she's one yeah. of the most tested athletes exactly. in general. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so we've, we've, got, we've got intersectionality
2: of struggles yes. that we have to fight, and uh, ours is not to accept discrimination in exactly. all its form, wherever it exists.
1: So now, before we bring the conversation to a close, um, Africa Month is—I mean, Africa Day—is on the mm. 25th of May. Mm. Uh, South Africa, we are 25 in t- years into the new democracy. Um, we also have a situation in Ghana where, the, where they're going to be celebrating the Year of Return. So mm. it's 400 years since the first documented slave left mm. Ghana. Mm. Um, there's so many things happening. Um, R- Rwanda has just had its um, anniversary for the genocide. Mm. It's big anniversary mm-hmm. as well. Where do you feel we sit now as Africans? You know, how do you, what's your feeling or anything you want to say about uh, the continent, the good, the bad, what needs to be changed? You
2: yes. know, we are at a crossroads in Africans. Uh, something that we need to take away is that we've demonstrated the possibilities mm. uh, for us to conquer. Mm. When we do things for the right reasons, in the right way, we can and we do get it mm. right. Uh, I think that uh, we have seen young um, Africans who are doing phenomenal things mm-hmm. in, their, in their communities. I see young women who stand in their community uh, for other girls and stop child marriage mm-hmm. and stop FGM and give everything of themselves. And it must be, you must imagine, if you're a teenager and you take a stand like that in a community, it must be very scary. Mm-hmm. But we've got so many. Uh, young people like that. We've actually seen also uh, our countries overcoming significant challenges, which you spoke about Ethiopia mm. uh, earlier Even for us, South Africa, to have overcome a bad date was a significant. And the fact that we still have institutions that can fight back even with everything that we've, we've gone through. So we know how to, mm. but we're not doing everything all the time yes. uh, the way we are meant to do it. The challenge for us. Is reaching this 25 years and for the other 25 years is really to leverage the hard lessons that we have learned okay. and make sure that we do it for everybody.
1: That was a conversation we had with South Africa's Former Deputy President and current Executive Director of UN Women Be on the lookout for the full Exclusive episode with her right here On Africa State of Mind We also had a conversation with Chude Jirionwa Who's a Nigerian lawyer, journalist And media entrepreneur He's also a co-founder of The Future Project Which is focused on inspiring leadership Building entrepreneurs and using The media, both traditional and new As a tool for social change He's also been instrumental in putting some of the current African states' presidents in power. He told us why more and more young people are getting involved in politics.
3: Well, the reason why young people have become so prominent is because of their share size. You know, um, the percentage of the population that's young means that everywhere a politician or a policymaker looks, a young person is affected by this or that policy. Mm. If it's health, if it's, if, it's, um, 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 if it's employment, if it's industry, if it's um, competitiveness, if it's um, security, you know, um, many of in Nigeria, for instance, many of um, Boko Haram um, um, recruits are obviously young, young people. Um, in South Africa, when there was the protests about university corruption, obviously mm-hmm. that affects young people. Um, Terrorist attacks in Nairobi in, in disproportionately affect young people. So they are disproportionately affected by the challenges of the region, hmm. of, this, of, the, of the continent. But the second thing is actually democracy. Hmm. Because if Africa is defined that dictators don't need popular support, hmm. dictators need the tools of power. Hmm. And so no matter how, how, um, how many the young people are, if the dictator doesn't need your vote, doesn't need your approval, Doesn't need your judgment. Doesn't need your support or whatever. Then your numbers mean nothing except in resistance. Mm. But because much of Africa has rapidly democratized, and 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 this is a very important thing for me. And anytime I speak to international media, I'm always trying to force them to pay attention to the reality of what's happening. But elections held in Somalia, you know, um, Liberia has had consistent elections since it recovered from the war. Rwanda has had elections, Syria has had elections. You know, there has been steady democratization across the continent in the past 20 years. And much of it has not rolled back, even if there continues to be conflict. And so, because of that, there is a generation that is waiting, that is being born into basic freedoms, constitutionality, and elections. Mm and they don't even know about dictatorships. so when anybody who was born after 2000 in nigeria doesn't know and because the young person will be 19 years old now and has no experience of a military dictatorship and so because these because now african leaders now need voters and supporters and goodwill and validation and approval of the majority which they didn't really need in the 80s and 90s when we were defined by war and dictatorship,
4: mm-hmm.
3: now the voter has become more powerful. Mm-hmm. And because the voter is disproportionately young, therefore young people have become more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the flip side is that many young people should get involved, but I don't think enough of them are getting involved, because I think that many of the young people are taking the freedoms and power that they have for granted. It is true that our country are not being as well-run as they should be, Mm -hmm. but it's also true that they're being run much better than they were 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote an article for the and Guardian, I think, last year, when uh, Mandela's uh, centenary, and I said, it's fine for young South Africans to to question certain legacies, but I want to remember that we are able to question these legacies now because of the freedom that those that mm. came before us won. Mm. And our job is to build upon the legacy, not mm. to get consumed by cynicism, because even they didn't have the privilege that we have now. So it's not for us to lament about how bad things are, it's for us to acknowledge how bad things are, but also acknowledge how better things have become and not give up on engaging governments until things get much better than we met them. And I don't think many other people understand the huge responsibility that we have to build upon the success that we were given.
1: Mm. Oh, that's such a, yeah, there's that. Answer is so loaded I could go into So many different ways But I think that w- What you've said Is so important um, Specifically about the fact The reason why We're able to question uh, Legacy and democracies Because we now Because of what has Happened in the past That's so powerful And I think it's true As much as there are A lot of things going on Within the continent That people are like oh, This is going on That's going on We are doing a lot better Than what we were 20 years ago And that's a powerful Kind of image That we need to remember You know And it's just important To build upon it Now I'm Chida, I I wanted to now speak about Statecraft Inc. How was that formed? Because I've known about uh red media for quite Mm. a while. Um but I I, I was kind of Mm. when I heard about Statecraft Inc. I wasn't sure. Was this formed before Mm. uh Buari's first Mm. um you know, before you guys were involved with Buari's campaign initially, his first one, not the second one, or was this Mm -hmm. formed along the way? Because mm-hmm. let's just—I mean, let's just—you uh, mm-hmm. know—celebrate. Let's just. Let me just. Well, I'm trying to find the right word, but it's like I'm not being in Lagos so long. Like my slang is gone. But you know, let's just like yeah, talk about the people that you've helped to get in presidency. I mean, from Ghana to Nigeria mm-hmm. to Senegal. Mm-hmm. Um, where mm-hmm. else? I mean, that like that's quite a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So, at what point was Statecraft yeah. Media? I uh, was straight. Sorry, Statecraft Inc. Um,
3: formed. Yeah, Statecraft Inc. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess this half is another accident. <laughs> um, so what happened was, we had a magazine uh, at the time, a print magazine called Why Africa? Why online? Yeah. Why, why?
4: Yeah. And we
3: were trying to get the president of Nigeria, and we also had a PR company, so we had the magazine company, we had a PR company. So the magazine company, we were trying to get the president of Nigeria at the time, this is a German bank an interview, and if people kept saying, no, 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 no. I would just kept filling up, I think, for about two or three months. Mm. Um, and then, there was a crisis that they had. And I think they did an interview with a popular musician. It didn't go out well. There was a backlash amongst Nigerians. I said nigerians online, and they panicked, and they kind of needed someone to ready to talk to, in their own words, a credible platform. And so they called them and said, look, I made this request. We we're ready to talk to you now. And so we did that interview and we published it. And then the the special adviser to the president, who helped us get the interview, said, "Look, I hear you have a PR company. Yeah, would you also be willing to, to 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 handle the reputation of the president for the election?" And we said, "What? That would be a dream come true to work on that level." And so it was after doing that that we so We did that in twenty eleven. After doing that, we now spend some time thinking, look, we're very interested in governance, we're very interested in public policy, um, and reputation management and consulting for politics and governance is, is different from just working for brands. And so we thought we'd have to create a special vehicle for this. Because unlike a PR brand, sometimes you work for PR brands that you're really passionate about, you like the company, you're going to work hard for the company, you want to do your job. But unlike politics, you know, working for a brand is can be different. You may not have an an emotional attachment.
4: Mm.
3: Or politics is a completely different set of indices. And so we thought we need to create a special company for that. And that's how we created Statecraft. And Statecraft uh, worked with uh, the Minister for Finance at the time, uh, and did some local work. But then it really didn't blow up to full size into the, the Buhari elections. Mm. Um, and we were invited to so do this and technically I, I And mean, again, we were invited for that. Like there was no plan, so to speak, <laughs> uh, to, to to get this client or to do this work. Because of the way that I'm, politics works in this environment, there's no there are no open bid, there are no call for application. Yeah. You know? So it's almost like your reputation has to precede you. Mm. And again I'm, i keep saying that when we're doing the Buhari elections, I because I'm a Nigerian well, I was also lucky that the royal, the Royal was a candidate that I personally believed in. So, um, and so we made, I, I was very excited to do this work with everything I had because I wanted this change for my country. So I think it was the intensity of my own personal and that and all and many of our senior organizations mm. and our competence that led to that kind of a result. Mm. Now, of course, once we did that, then the election spread across the continent and outside. And so again, we're invited to do Ghana, and you know, and, and we've worked in other countries that we didn't necessarily work in the elections itself. We advised, um, uh, um, um, in Kenya, and advised candidates in Liberia, and spent month advising the candidates in Liber- in Australia. And sometimes we advise candidates to step down. Uh, sometimes we advised them to join coalitions, you know, but. Over the past, since 2015, we've been working to work in elections that we've won. So we've won four presidential elections now. When I say we've won, you we mean the candidate has won, because it's the candidate's victory, and it's the party's victory, and it's the country's victory. We're just here to support them. But we've been lucky for the Jonathan election, the Boraya elections, the Kennedy elections, and this last month, the Senegal election. So, so, and, you know, we're just incredibly proud because, again, like I say, I was born into a dictatorship. Yeah. I didn't have my first taste of democracy in 1999 when I was, mm-hmm. what, 16. Yeah. And so to be part of helping strengthen democracy across the continent, in Francophone Africa, in Anglophone Africa, it's such a huge privilege. And so, so Statecraft is one of the companies that I'm most proud of because we're doing something that Nobody has done before. Like there's no one to learn from. Mm. We are literally clearing this path by ourselves.
1: So actually, I mean that's. uh, I think that also I I stand to be corrected, but I'm not so sure that I I'm aware. Like it doesn't come top of mind of another kind of company that is doing the kind of work that you're doing. So you almost are, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you're almost. Carving out this path For this sort of uh, system Within the continent Which is mm-hmm. which is awesome But I do have to ask A few questions um, You know Just with the clear Kind yeah. of like the elephant In the room So you mentioned about How you had supported uh, Good luck Jonathan And then Buari Who are on opposite ends You know mm-hmm. um, So how does that work When you decide Who it is That you're going to support How far does principle Go over um, money So um, you know How do you know Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you totally detach yourself mm-hmm. emotionally, um, where that's concerned? Because I can imagine in that mm-hmm. case it can get you guys into a bit of a, a situation. Um, if you support a candidate and then they get into power mm-hmm. and then say, for example, they let people down, then what do you do? How do you decide which campaigns mm-hmm. you will and won't work on, who you will advise mm-hmm. and who you won't, um, in order to be able to protect the business? Because yeah, it's it's probably really I, th- that I think is probably yeah. one of the biggest danger points of the work that you do.
3: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's something again, like, like you said, because we are, uh, we are learning as we go. Um, and we are completely completely learning as we go. And when you're trying to do something that hasn't been done before, sometimes you will take parts that you shouldn't have taken and you learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, in, with the Buhari so the process of searching a candidate to work with is completely intuitive, which means that you take every candidate in a case-by-case basis. it's more more emotional when it's your own country, Mm. yeah, Um, because you are involved. And again, it's not like working for a beer brand or a telecom company. This is your country. This is not what a telecom company does doesn't really affect your life. What a bank does may not affect your life. Mm. What a government does affect Mm. your life. And so, in our own country, it's a bit emotional. The reason, I mean, my decision not to work for the government in, in this last election, even though I kept saying everywhere that far as I know, he's going to win this election. You know, I know, he's going to win this election because he has a strong personal drive and support. And so to make that decision to still not work for him, was an emotional decision. It a business decision. And I always say to my team but even if you had decided to work for him, it wasn't a medical decision. You know, he's a client, he's a legitimate client, you know, to democracy of the free election. But for me, it's difficult to not be attached if it's mm-hmm. my own country. Mm. And again, that's something sometimes you need mentors to tell you don't bring the emotions into business. And I, and I understand. Some people even say don't talk about the words you think people. They can also understand they are used to those conventions. But I want to run the kind of business that I want to run. The I want to run, the kind of business that I want to run.
4: You know? mm.
3: And so I said, there's nothing wrong with emotions. Emotions are part of human life. Yeah. So if we choose to be emotionally attached when it comes to our origin markets, then that's something we want to do. So that's that. When it comes to other countries, it's possible to have a reserve because, again, you're not emotionally attached. But here, because we are passionate about this, about nation building and democracy, those guide who we choose to work with. So I'll give you an instance. Um, before, I, dis- I stumbled upon Senegal as a country reading in in 2014 mm. when I was writing my first book, How to um, how we Return Upon Generation. And I was so impressed at the fact that saw had changed his competition to limit his own term in office. Mm-hmm. And I began to praise him publicly from then. Mm-hmm. And so when his people reached out to our people, it was, it was an easy decision because he was a person I already adored. You know? And so that kind of gives you an insight into the kind of decision. There is no, there is no, like any business, there is no this... There are not hard and fast roads but it's often a what our mission our mission is to deepen democracy our mission is to young people our mission is to build nations
4: mm.
3: and so when candidates reach you and you need candidates you want to ask yourself does this person sit with our hearts deepest hearts desire?
4: Mm.
3: and even if it's not a hell yes it has there has to be a fit. There has to be a, when i sleep at night i will be proud Mm. of working with these candidates. When I'm 80 I'm telling my children about my life, I should be happy to say we do this mm. in Dokina Faso, in South Africa, or in Kenya. Mm. And that's kind of the decision. That's kind of the way that we do that. So mm. guided by why are we in this field in the first place?
1: Now, um, today, just before we let you go, um, for you, uh, I, I'm also really fascinated with how the the continent is so diverse. And as you've mentioned, you, I mean, you've mentioned work within the continent that I was not even aware that you guys had done. So, how do you go about, um, when it comes to researching mm-hmm. and doing that sort of work? Because one of the biggest issues from a media mm-hmm. perspective within the continent is number one, we're not unified. Number two, there's not enough information that goes out that mm-hmm. is credible from different countries. So, if you're not in Nigeria, for example, you. Not very sure that the news mm. that you're getting is the legitimate news, and this is a situation we're having in the continent, you know, yep. um, and everything. So, for you guys, yep. how do you ensure that you're able to properly um, mm. advise people? You know, when you mention about uh, perhaps you need to step mm. down and, and that sort of thing, how do you do that if you're not either from that country of origin?
3: Right? The, so, I always say the first thing is extreme humility. Mm.
1: So,
3: we never even in Nigeria, we never assume that we know what people are thinking or what they want to do. Mm. We always assume that we are... it's something that sometimes I'll tell clients, they're like, so they don't that we don't think that we're completely ignorant. Because our job is really to understand what people are thinking and what people are feeling. So we come in assuming that we know nothing. And the first thing we do is we spend time just gathering the data. I remember in Rio last year, in February, I just got into the got into Freetown and we just spent the next two days just travelling around the country,
4: mm-hmm. just
3: focus grouping, pooling and you can see, And when we came back to to, to, to meet with the, the client in another in another city, we couldn't believe the amount of data we had amassed in two days.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know, because we said we cannot take a step in this country unless we're in sync with the citizens and not just citizens in the city centre, the days in the rural area. So that's the first thing. That's the actually the most important thing that we remember that we are not the experts on this country, that the citizens are the experts. And our job is to channel the expertise of the citizens, to understand them. Um, The second thing is also that all of us in Cape Town are very passionate about the continent. And so we are rapid information consumers. So most of the articles I write, whether CNN or The Mail and Guardian or or OZ or Quad, often about the continent. I'm deeply interested in elections in Zimbabwe, in, in deeply interested in elections in... I mean, sometimes I write about nations that the international media is not even interested in. I write about Mali, or mm. I write about, you know, um, 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 and Gabon, you know, I write about uh, the Republic, and all these other nations that are flourishing in democracy. And so we have a deep curiosity about Africa. I have a very personal vision about Western and Central Africa, that i have not even shared with anyone because I need to go and build the capacity to, to learn that vision. So we're deeply passionate about Africa in a very personal way. You know, I'm more likely to spend my vacation in Abidjan than I am to spend it in, in, in Shanghai or, or <laughs> the Philippines because I have a deep connection. So we are lucky mm. that, first, is not a job, just a job. We are deeply personally interested in the continent, mm. but also that when we get into a country... Um, and so, and this, what you mentioned is absolutely right. I'm, I'm very passionate about building a media network that truly unifies the continent in a way that is not... It's not, a, it's not just a business. It's not just, oh, Africa is a great market. Let's explore it. It's that Africa's people need to be connected. It shouldn't be so difficult for me to know what's happening with a young person. I shouldn't be more familiar with what's happening in Tennessee or in, in Los mm. Angeles than I am with what's happening in Yaoundé or, you know, in Malindi, you mm. know. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. There is a disconnection. And that's something that I am personally passionate about. Not in a way, because sometimes I'm in cities for it, with people who want to invest in the continent. They're looking for business opportunities, and that's great. But, you know, again, anybody who can carefully understand the threads that tie the passion of a young person in Kenya and a young person in Gabon, and a young person in Syria and a young person in Botswana, anybody who's able to be patient and dedicated enough to figure it out can truly be a media platform mm. that forces all of us to understand that we are Africans and mm. that this is a significant identity yeah. that we have not yet explored. And, you know, to me, I've said, if nobody's going to do it, then ultimately I'm going to get the resources myself mm. and I will try.
1: Achileke, the co founder and member of the Global Advisory Council of the African Leadership Academy, a co educational boarding school that aims to develop the next generation of African leaders. He's also the chairman of McKinsey's Africa region. He spoke about the core issues facing Africa and its development.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll start by saying, you know, I fundamentally believe that leadership is at the root cause of what of, of our issues, right? Okay. Leadership has failed Africa. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, we actually built a Leadership Academy uh, because we said, um, if you think of corruption, you think of some of the challenges we had on the economic side. It really comes down to just having mm-hmm. bad leaders. We mm-hmm. had bad leaders, and, and and we always said, you know, we, you know, the future of Africa is too important to leave the emergence of good leaders to chance. Mm-hmm. So let's actually mm-hmm. find a yeah. way to create these leaders we wanted, and that's why we founded at the Africa Leadership Academy. Um, so that's one. Um, two is we always, you know, I think. We've had, you know, three generations of leaders, right? We always say we've had the, the, those who brought us independence, right? So the Kwame Krumahs of the world mm-hmm. and the areas of the world that, you know, we, till today we we yeah. thank for that, yeah. right? Then we had a generation that basically destroyed all those gains, right? You know, we know who they are. We don't need to talk about them. Yeah. And then we've had the last generation, and it's been probably in the last 10, 15 years, where people have really come and said, let's sort of bring back growth uh, to the continent. And there are a number who've actually done that in, in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you talk about Ethiopia, you know, uh, you know we're all proud of him. I, I love what President Kagame has done. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, people can have different perspectives on, mm-hmm. you know, his uh, humanitarian record. But from an economic perspective on the country, yeah. you know, you, can, you you cannot argue what he's done mm-hmm. over the last, you know, 25 years for Rwanda, right? And you see a number of, of, of other leaders like that in, in different countries. You see what, you know, uh, what how what how the transformation of of Senegal now? You look at Cote d'Ivoire. What's again mm-hmm. on the economic side? Look what's happened in the last ten yeah. years. Yeah, Cote
1: d'Ivoire uh, is incredible. Also, uh, and been,
0: it's been an amazing mm-hmm. journey e- economically. The last ten years, again, they mm-hmm. have s- their issues on the political side of that kind of stuff, but economically, uh, and you see more of those. And I think what happens once you have some of these good leaders, what mm-hmm. happens? They they attract good people to work with them. Other countries, you know, emulate them, mm-hmm. right? And so it brings you know it, it sort of I think it, it plays a fundamental role in reviving. The whole, the whole continent mm.
1: And now just with regards to um, You know, looking at uh, at Leaders and everything, because even when you said About with Kagame and such And I know that there's people have a Love other side relationship with him But nobody can doubt the work that has been done In Rwanda But now, because, okay, say with the leadership academy That you have started, I think you started with Fred, right? Fred, exactly yeah, yeah. So the, the African Leadership Academy um, How important do you think um, Education is in line with entrepreneurship. And I ask that question because I also feel that now we sit in a place where everybody's like, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I don't, you know, I don't need to do anything else. So it's almost as though on one hand, people think that I'm just going to come up with a great idea, like a startup and I'm going to, you know, create a lot of jobs. But then I always worry that we're going to be in a situation where other skills just kind of fall by the wayside because there seems to be no emphasis on the importance of education and ensuring that people in other sectors are also kind of growing and developing.
0: No, we think we think it's absolutely fundamental. And so, when uh, actually four of us started ALS, it's Fred, myself, Chris, and and, and Peter. And 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 you know, we called it the Leadership Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Not a high school, not you know, because we that's exactly what we wanted to do, or what we or what we wanted to set up, which is you know, when we 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 did a lot of work looking at at other education institutions across the continent, and we felt the three things that they missed out on, right? One is this whole Africa, bringing really the Africa at the center and teaching people about Africa. Um, Entrepreneurship, we actually think there are a lot of skills you can learn about entrepreneurship, to your Mm -hmm. question. Um, And then leadership, because again, leadership is what has failed Africa. So in addition to the A-levels curriculum, we created our own proprietary curriculum around leadership, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and African studies. And that's sort of what we brought together Mm -hmm. uh, at at ALA. and and, and and if you look at the continent today, the issue is, you know, we, we don't, we just don't have enough jobs, right, for the people who are coming to the mm. workplace. And even if you've projected, we've done uh, some work at McKinsey a few years ago, a work, uh, report we called Africa at Work. Yes. Where it looked, even if you project it, you know, we will never be able to create enough jobs, right? And so the reality is we need to be able to create entrepreneurs who would you know, create jobs for themselves, but also um, hire others, mm. right? So entrepreneurship is critical, to the to the job situation on the continent. Mm-hmm. Now I think you know you can just set up one and have this idea and let me go do it and actually learn some of the skills right Some of the fundamental skills we teach around problem solving, around working in teams, around communicating you mm-hmm. know so this are some of the fundamental skills you need to learn even as an entrepreneur, to be successful.
1: Powerful words from Achilleke. He said, the future of Africa is too important to leave the emergence of good leaders to chance. I absolutely love that because good governance and leadership is vital. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you join the Facebook group, Africa State of Mind on Twitter. Follow us at Africa State Mind. Africa State of Mind is all about great Africans doing great things on the continent and around the globe. It's all about changing the narrative on Africa. This podcast is Definitely about curating tremendous African stories by Africans, always celebrating African excellence. My name is Vika Sumba. We'll catch you on the next episode. Happy Africa,
0: Mom. Head to lifepodcasts.fm to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in Africa State of Mind. Subscribe to this podcast at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.